Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Make Disciples. All right, so the last time we were together, when I was with you two weeks ago, uh, we talked about Paul's ministry to the city of Corinth. You remember that city that was filled with people who knew how to work hard, they knew how to play hard, and sadly, they knew how to party hard. And so Paul went to that city, he taught the word of God in that city, and good news, many people, the scriptures say, many people in Corinth came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And they didn't just stop there. They, the, the Holy Spirit came inside of them and began to change them. The Spirit of God came inside, and this is what he does. He first begins to change our character, and then he begins to change our conduct. And so this is what the Corinthians experienced. They used to practice all sorts of evil, but after they had a true encounter with Christ, he changed them. And what a blessing it was for Paul in that city to see God move in that way. But as we've seen in our verse-by-verse -verse study in Acts, we've seen a pattern. And that is that great blessing is often followed by great difficulty. So many times, and you know this if you've been with us since we started this in January, Paul would go to a certain city, he'd preach the gospel, God would bless, but then trouble would come. And he's like running for his life from some of these towns. And he'd go to the next town, and, and, and God would bless, but then trouble would come. He'd go to the next town, God would bless, but then trouble would come. That's the pattern, and Paul was very aware of that pattern. And quite frankly, you need to know that it made Paul afraid. As Paul was in the corrupt city of Corinth, he was afraid. And one night when he was experiencing anxiety and apparently he couldn't sleep, Jesus Christ appeared to him in a vision. And I love these verses so much, I gotta go back and read them by way of review. And so if you could look at Acts chapter 18, verse nine. And so it says in verse nine that the Lord said to Paul one night, in a vision, and so this is not a dream while he's sleeping, this is a vision in the night while Paul is awake. And so Jesus appears to Paul and he says, do not be afraid. And by the way, how many times do we have to hear this, right? From Genesis to Revelation, one of the most often repeated commandments from God to us, hey, stop being afraid. He says, Paul, and by the way, why did he say don't be afraid to Paul? because Paul was afraid. So do not be afraid, go on speaking and do not be silent. Why? For I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you for I have many people uh, or many in this city who are my people. And so praise God. How many of you guys are thankful that Jesus knows how to comfort us in our fears, right? That's a beautiful thing. And so Jesus Christ makes a promise to Paul of his presence and protection. Now his promise of his presence is unconditional, it's always there. The promise of his protection, well in Philippi, Paul was attacked, but now in Corinth, you're not gonna be attacked. And so that, that comes and goes. How many of you guys understand that God is sovereign over our suffering? Yeah, he, he, he's got us, he's, he's cool. We just need to be cool. And so Paul, I'm gonna protect you. I'm not just gonna give you my presence, I'm gonna give you my protection. And Paul believed it and it gave him peace. And ladies and gentlemen, when we today believe the promises of the word of God, we can experience his peace as well. And we can sleep like babies at night. And so because of this promise, Paul could relax. 
And Paul could really pour himself into the ministry there in Corinth. And look how long he stayed. Again, by way of review, look at verse 11. It said that he stayed in Corinth a year and six months. And I love this because of what I do. What did he do for a year and six months? Teaching the word of God among them. And so for a year and a half, Paul taught, taught God's word, and what a blessed time it was. Now, of course, there were some unbelieving Jews who during that 18 months did try to stir up trouble for Paul, but you need to know that Christ keeps his promises. And so what happened was that the Lord protected Paul from those troublemakers. If you remember when they hauled him to the Bema seat there in the marketplace, uh, Paul didn't even have to talk but the pagan politician, Gallio, the, the governor of Achaia, I mean, the, the big honcho who reported directly to the Roman Senate, he stood up, you don't have to say anything, Paul, and he legitimized, he allowed Paul to preach in his city. And so what a, what a wonderful thing that, that the Lord kept his promise. And Paul, this is now a record, stayed for a year and a half in this city. And so we're gonna pick it up today in verse 18, that's where we left off two weeks ago. And so right now, if you're looking at chapter 18, verse 18, say amen. amen. Okay, please follow along. It says that after this, so after Gallio, the pagan politician, stood up for Paul and let him preach in his city, Paul stayed many days, longer, I guess so. If you got the freedom to preach, preach. And then he took leave of the brothers. And so he established, he planted a church in Corinth, but Paul was more of an evangelist than a pastor, so he's leaving now. And he set sail for Syria. And I like this, with him, Priscilla and Aquila. And so Paul leaves Corinth, he begins the long journey back to Syria, like almost a quarter way around the world. And what was in Syria? His home church, right, his sending church. The church that he loved so much, that dynamic, that healthy church in Antioch of Syria that was filled with, with Jews and Gentiles who loved the Lord, that same local home-sending church that sent Paul and Barnabas out on their first missionary journey and then laid hands on them and sent them out, uh, at least Paul and Silas, on, on their second missionary journey. Paul cannot wait to get home to his home church so that he can report the good grace of God and all God had done during the second missionary journey. Now you need to know that while he was in Corinth, Paul became very close friends with a couple. I introduced them to you two weeks ago, but their names were Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and a wife, and Paul became very close, great, great friends with this husband and wife. They, they became so close during that year and a half that Paul was in Corinth that they actually decided to take a cruise together. And so the three of them decided, Paul, hey, we're gonna go with you as you get on a boat and go across the Aegean Sea to Asia Minor, modern day Turkey or the city of Ephesus. And Priscilla and Aquila could do that because if you remember, their business was tent making. So they weren't bound to any city. They could pull up their tent pegs at any time, wherever God was leading them, and they could set up their business in whatever city and live for Christ as they conducted their business. And so they're in Corinth, the eastern port. They're getting ready to get on a boat to head over to Ephesus. But before that, Paul said, I gotta, I gotta take care of something. And then we get to these kind of this weird second half of 
verse 18. Please look at it. It says that at Sancria, Paul had, what's the next three words? Cut his hair, he got a haircut. If you have the NLT, he shaved his head. If you have the King James Version, he shorn his head like shearing sheep. Others of you have a verse, a, a translation that says that he cut his hair off. Suffice it to say, I don't know if he shaved it down to the, the bald head or at least he got a really, really short haircut here. But it says that he cut his hair. Why? For he was under a vow. And so what happened was, he's ready to leave Corinth. Priscilla and Aquila are like, we're going with you. And so if you remember, Corinth was situated, if you remember the map from two weeks ago, you have northern Greece and then you have the Peloponnese um, region here and it's connected by a land bridge or an isthmus. Corinth is here and Corinth is such a bustling city. It's got a western port and an eastern port. The eastern port is at Sencrea. So they go to Sancria and they're getting ready to get on a boat and Paul's like, hey, wait a minute, my hair's getting long, I need to get a haircut, I'm gonna stop over you know, at the, the local Great Clips and get a haircut, if Priscilla and Quilla, if you can just you know, wait for me for just a little while, I'll be right back. Why did he get a haircut? Here's why, because Paul was a Jew and he had taken a vow. That's what it says at the end of verse 18. What vow? Most scholars believe a Nazarite vow which you can read about later in Numbers chapter six. But I got to explain it to you nonetheless so you understand what's going on here. And so a Nazarite vow under the old covenant was a vow of separation to God. It was a vow of dedication to God. You know, you remember Romans 12, one and two and under the new covenant, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service and don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? That you may prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so this is something like that under the old covenant. And so what is he, what is he doing? He takes a vow and it's a Nazarite vow, it's a vow of separation, it's a vow of dedication. The word Nazar in the Hebrew means to be consecrated. When you look at the Mishnah, not the Bible, but you look at the Mishnah, which is the oral law of the Jews, you see that this vow was taken by Jews for either a period of 30 days, 60 days, or 100 days and it was totally voluntary. Some, some people became, um, took the Nazarite vow for life, Samson, John the Baptist, right? But others, most Jews, men or women, would take this vow um, as, uh, uh, for a shorter period of time, 30, 60, 100 days, and it was a vow of dedication to the Lord. If you took this vow as a Jew, this voluntary vow, you had to avoid three things. The first thing that you avoided was you avoided getting a haircut. And so 30, 60, 100 days, however long you're gonna do it, you don't cut your hair, so your hair's getting kinda long. The second thing that you avoid as you're dedicating yourself to God is wine. If you go back and read Numbers chapter six, you're not allowed to drink any wine, and you're not allowed to, t to, to take anything from the vine. So no grapes, no raisins. And the third thing that you would avoid was approaching a dead body. Because everybody knows, if you've ever read through the law, that it, it, a Jew couldn't touch a dead body. It made that Jew ceremonially unclean. And so Paul, I don't want you to misunderstand, right? Because you're thinking, wait a minute, we're under the new covenant, what Paul, what's Paul doing taking a vow under the old covenant? I don't want you to misunderstand this. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Paul knew that he was not justified by the law of Moses. Paul knew 
that he was not justified by any ritual related to the law of Moses, like this Nazarite vow. Of all people who ever breathed air on God's green earth, Paul knew that he was justified. If you're new to the Bible, you need to understand that that means to be declared righteous by God. Paul knew that he was justified, here we go again, right? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so Paul knew that, if you have any doubts, read the book of Romans. That theme screams at you from Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And so Paul, don't misunderstand, Paul knew he was justified by faith in Christ, but he also was a Jew. And so as a Jew, he knew that he had the freedom to practice certain Jewish rituals if he wanted to. And so there's lots of Jewish believers in Jesus today. And these people, God love them, they know that they're justified by their faith in Jesus Christ, and yet they still practice the customs of their rich Jewish heritage. And we say, praise the Lord, right? As long as a Jewish believer doesn't require, I know most 98% of us are Gentiles, right? As long as a Jewish believer doesn't require Gentile believers to keep the ceremonial aspects of the law of Moses, we're good. And we gotta check our attitudes as Gentiles, right? Because there's some people that cop an attitude and they look at a Jewish believer in Jesus, well, why does he still keep the Sabbath? doesn't do any work from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. Why does he uh, still maintain a kosher diet? Well, here's why. They're Jews. (laughs) They're Jewish people. They do that. Now, the, the believers in Jesus, they understand that that's not what justifies them. It's part of their rich Jewish heritage. And so this is what we're seeing in the scriptures. In verse 18, we see that as a Jew, Paul took a Jewish Nazarite vow and it's now come to an end in Sincrea. So he goes and gets a haircut. He's just following the dictates of Numbers chapter six. He goes and gets a haircut. He takes the locks of his hair. He puts them in his pocket maybe or his satchel. And he's gonna take that hair to the temple in Jerusalem and he's gonna burn it. It's all part of the Jewish Nazarite vow. I'm almost done with this point, but I love what I read David Guzik say in his commentary this week about this passage. If you're not familiar with David Guzik, check it out, Enduring Word, I think it's EnduringWord.com. Great, great Bible commentator. He said that Paul never forgot that he was, what's the word? (laughs) Jewish. That his Messiah was Jewish. And look at this, that Christianity is Jewish. Newsflash for some of you. Did you know that our, in terms of our roots as Christians, our roots are in the Old Testament. Our roots are in Yahweh, God, the God of Israel. And listen, as Gentiles, 98% of us are Gentiles, do you know that Romans chapter 11 says that we're wild olive branches, man? And we're so glad that by God's grace, we have been grafted into the olive tree by God's grace. And so absolutely, Paul knew, yes, we should thank God for that. Let's all put our hands together and praise God that he has grace on Gentiles. He could left us in our sins. And so Paul never forgot he was Jewish, his Messiah was Jewish, Christianity is Jewish, and that the Old Testament forms and rituals might still be used to good purpose. But never forget this. 
Apparently, though Paul was adamant that Jewish ceremonies and rituals must not be required of the Gentiles, read Galatians, he saw nothing wrong with Jewish believers who wished to observe such ceremonies. I love this, this is important. Presumably if, they, if their fulfillment in Jesus was also recognized. Say so that's important, right? Because of all the types in the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus. And so I don't want you to be confused. Later on, you'll read number six and you'll say, wait a minute. At the end of the ceremony of the Nazarite vow, they take their hair to the temple, the tent of meeting, and, and, and they offer a male lamb and a female lamb. Listen, I, I know Paul. Paul would never in a million years offer an animal sacrifice. Why? Because if you're new to the Bible, Paul knew that Jesus Christ is the perfect lamb of God and that he died for our sins and provided atonement once and for all, for all of our sins. And yet, we should, yeah, thank God for that too. And yet he partakes of the vow. What's he doing? He's respecting his Jewish heritage. And so as he respects his Jewish heritage, you need to know that it opened doors for Paul to share Jesus with his Jewish friends. Do you know that outside of Jesus Christ, Paul's number one passion was to reach the Jews? That's why it says in Romans chapter 10, verse one, he says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Jews, listen, is that they might be saved. That they might be saved, why? Because we know that there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved in the name of Jesus. That they would come to Jesus as their Messiah and Paul was, was willing to, to go to great lengths to see this happen. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul said to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. So what was Paul doing here? He's respecting his Jewish heritage, but he's also, even though he knew he was not under the law, he became as a person under the law so that he could take a Nazarite vow and maybe win some more Jews. Does that all make sense to you guys? And I encourage you to read number six later. All right, we gotta move on. So look at verse 19. So they jump on a boat in Sancria, and they head out, they cross the Aegean Sea, and they come to Ephesus. We're now in Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey now. And he left them, Priscilla and Aquila, there in Ephesus, but he himself, again, here we go again, right? Went into the what? Synagogue. Paul loves the Jews. And he reasoned with the Jews. And so I want you to picture the back door of a synagogue and here comes Paul with a super short haircut. He just got his hair cut off. He's probably got it in his satchel. And he goes to these Jews in Ephesus and he begins to reason with them from the scriptures, no doubt sharing that Jesus is the Messiah. And what was their response? Well, look at verse 20. It said, when they said, get out of here. Is that what it says? When they asked him to stay for a longer period. They're like, man, we love this guy. Can you stay? And then it says at the end of verse um, 20 that he declined. And so could it be, I wonder, that Paul's super short haircut and the, the cut hair in his satchel that he's gonna offer later at the temple in Jerusalem, 
Could it, be the, could it be the fact that he took a Jewish Nazarite vow? Maybe that endeared him to these Jews in Ephesus to where now they're like, we love this guy, can you hang around even longer? I think so. But he declines, and I want you to look now at verse 21. But on taking leave of them, he said, okay, so if you're looking at verse 21 right now, say amen. amen. Gotta get this. Please, please, please get this. He says to these Ephesian Jews, I will return to you if God wills, if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. That leads you to your first point, if you're filling in your card there, if you wanna engage with the message. Paul desired for God's will to be done in his life. Paul desired, not for his own will, but for God's will to be done in his life. Now the title of my message this afternoon is Make Disciples, and you're gonna understand by the end of the message why I entitled the message in that way, but I will say this for now, and that is that one of the primary marks of a true disciple is if God wills, what Paul said in verse 21. One of the themes in the book of Acts is this, that Paul did not live for himself, he lived for Christ. That Paul was not about his own will, he was, for the, he was about the will of Jesus Christ. That Paul set himself aside, he set his agenda aside, he set aside what he wanted to do in life, and it was all about knowing Christ and following Christ's will. Why? Because Paul was a true disciple. Check out these two definitions of the word disciple here. And I'm always giving you these really solid um, websites because I really want you to go to the right places because there's a lot of junk on, on the internet concerning theology. Okay, so Blue Letter Bible, BLB, Blue Letter Bible is an awesome, awesome resource as well as gotquestions.org. But Blue Letter Bible, um, what's the definition in the Greek of the word disciple? Well, it means, in the original language, a learner, thank you for being here, thank you for sitting, thank you for learning, a learner, a pupil. But I wanna submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that that's just half the definition. <laughs> All right, and so going to got questions, I, I put this because I really love the way they worded it. A disciple, next fill in the blank on your card, a disciple is a what? A follower, not just a learner, but a follower, someone who adheres completely to the teachings of another, making them his rule of life and conduct. And so you say, where do they get that from? They got that from ancient Judaism. You look at ancient Judaism and you see all these rabbis. And what you need to know is that each rabbi had his disciples. And what you need to also know is that those disciples were not just pupils or learners, that those disciples lived out what their rabbis taught them. Ladies and gentlemen, who is our rabbi? Who is our teacher? What's his name? Shout it out. Jesus. Jesus Christ is our teacher, our savior, and he's our king, and so as his disciples, we not only learn his principles by reading the New Testament, and by the way, you know, some people say I'm a disciple of Christ, and they never read the Bible. 
Stop fooling yourself. Some of you guys are so into Christian books and you never even read the Bible. I wanna give you a challenge in 2020. Put the books away and get into this book. Understand the word of God. Learn the word of God. Go to solid websites that'll help explain it because I know sometimes it gets hard. But man, make that your goal in 2020 that you're gonna learn the word of God. And so as new covenant Christians, Yes, we read the Old Testament, but man, we really focus in on the New Testament. Why? Because our rabbi, our teacher, our king, Jesus, his teachings are there. Now, the whole thing is God's word, but his teachings are there in the four gospels and the the epistles of the apostles and their associates. And so we learn by reading the New Testament, but ladies and gentlemen, please hear this. We don't just learn. We live out those teachings, We don't do our will, everybody look at me, we read it and live out his will. That's what Christians do. And so, do you know that this is one of the primary principles in the Lord's Prayer? Jesus said, pray then like this. In fact, let's all say it out loud on the count of three, you ready? One, two, three, our Father, I just had a flashback of the church I grew up in. And that's a, that's a great thing, right? We should pray the Lord's Prayer. And so look at it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed. He's so holy, he's so awesome, he's so separate from sinners. Amen. Hallowed be your name. Now check this out. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. These are not just words that we just say. This is stuff that we allow to sink deep into our hearts and live out with our feet. Hey, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I wonder this morning, is this your heart's cry? Do you really want God's kingdom to come and do you really want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? I am not primarily speaking right now about the future form of the kingdom which is gonna be manifested one day when Jesus splits the sky and his feet touch down the Mount of Olives and he sets up his 1,000 year reign of Christ. What a great day that's gonna be by the way. Right, we're looking forward to that. But I am not primarily talking about the future form of the kingdom. I am talking about the present form of the kingdom, which is manifested right now in the hearts and lives of his people. And yes, we are very passionate about the future form of the kingdom, which will be manifested at the end of the days, but we should also be excited. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm praying that the Lord would just light a fire in some of your hearts because you've given in to churchianity and all you do is come into a building twice a month and you think that's what makes you a a Christian. Listen to the word of God this morning. It is right to be passionate about the future form of the kingdom. We're all looking forward to when Jesus comes back literally. But I'm talking about getting excited about the present form of the kingdom which can be manifested right now in our hearts and lives, in our spouses' hearts and lives, in our kids' hearts and lives, 
in our grandkids' hearts and lives, and in all the hearts and lives of our local church. May your kingdom come now, and may your will be done now on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we need to be pumped up about. That's what we need to be excited about. Now, now, God, send your kingdom. So check out what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, because it's not about our will, it's about his will. He said, Christ died for all. Why? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Somebody here needs to hear this statement. I don't know if it's in this building. I don't know if it's someone watching on Facebook right now or listening later on the podcast, but you gotta hear this statement right here. You gotta stop living for yourself and you gotta start living for the one who died for you. Somebody needs to make a decision today to become a true disciple of Jesus. I'm not saying just a believer. I'm saying a learner and a liver. Someone who learns his teachings in the New Testament and then lives out those teachings, manifesting his kingdom right now. And so if you make that decision, I can guarantee you of one thing, you're not alone. If you make that decision in your life, that from right now, is it December 8th to 8th, is that the date? So right now, December 8th, 2019, till the day I take my last breath. And by the way, for some of you, that's 40 years if the Lord tarries. For others of you, it may be 40 days. We don't know. Life's a vapor. But it's so important before we see our king that we make a decision that right here and right now, I'm deciding it's no longer about my will. It's no longer about my agenda. It's about Christ, and it's about Christ's agenda. And you won't be alone. I tell you this, the Holy Spirit will come alongside of you. When you get serious about your faith, he'll, he'll be right there, and he'll give you the supernatural strength that you need through all those tough times and all those hard times and all those difficult times of life. He'll be right there with you, as Matt preached last week in the fire. And he'll give you the wisdom and the power and the love that you need, not to be perfect, but to be a lifelong follower of Christ. Don't you wanna hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Don't you wanna hear those words? And so Paul left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. Why? And by the way, don't you think they wanted to go with him? He discipled them for a year and a half in Corinth. They loved him, he was their teacher. Of course, I'm pretty sure they wanted to go with him, but no, 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 stay, stay in Ephesus. Why? Well, two reasons. I'll give you the least important one and then the most important one. The least important one was to set up their tent business in Ephesus. The most important one is so that they can carry on the witness of Jesus Christ in that city. And so right there, that tells you, and by the way, isn't the scriptures, every, it's like almost like every verse is filled with application. And I tell you, I could take 10 years to get through Acts, but I'm really trying to go faster, okay? Hang with me. But what you need to know is that this proves right here that Priscilla and Aquila set up their tent business in Ephesus, that you don't have to be a full-time pastor or a full-time evangelist or missionary like me, that you can have your business that God gives you. 
You can set it up. And then you can live for Jesus Christ and be a witness for him at home and in the workplace and in your local church. You can be a leader. And so this is what Priscilla and Aquila do. They're lifelong followers of Christ, even though they're not necessarily full-time pastors or evangelists. Now look at verse 22. Paul gets on the boat by himself. It says that when he landed, verse 22, when he landed at Caesarea, it's way over in Israel, he went up and greeted the church, that's in Jerusalem, and then he went down to Antioch, that's way up in Syria. So I think Luke is like in a little hurry here because he just covered hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. Let's look at the map and get our geographical bearings as the second missionary journey comes to an end. And so after his ministry in Corinth for a year and a half, Paul, Priscilla, Aquila, go up to the eastern port, Sincrea, they get on a boat, they head across the Aegean Sea over to modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, the city of Ephesus. Paul goes in with his super short haircut into the synagogue, really connects with the Jews there, but he knows he's not supposed to stay. He tells Priscilla and Aquila to stay in that town, set up your tent-making business, I'm going back home. He gets on the boat by himself, he goes all the way across the Mediterranean Sea, all the way down bottom right-hand side of your screen to Caesarea, beautiful coastal city filled with archeological evidence that manifests the truth of God's word. And if you go with it to Israel with us every two years, uh, we'll take you to that city, we'll show you the archeological evidence. But nonetheless, he then travels 65 miles up to Jerusalem, even though Jerusalem is south. Whenever you go to Jerusalem for whatever direction, you're always going up to Jerusalem. And he goes and greets the church in Jerusalem. Who's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem? Well, James, the little half-brother of Jesus, who, by the way, is very, 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 very Jewish. Paul's got his super short haircut, and he's got his hair in his bag, and he's going to burn at the altar, and I'm sure that made James kind of even more chummy with, with Paul there, and it doesn't say it, but we assume because he took the Nazarite vow that he did go to the temple, and he did burn his hair. There's no way he offered an animal for his sins, I already talked about that. And then he gets on a donkey or camel and heads up north, 400 plus miles right side of your screen, all the way back home to his home church in Antioch of Syria. Can you imagine when he came in the back door of that church? Can you imagine Paul coming into the back door of the church? Everybody's like, he's back, how did it go? And he gets up on the platform there and he shares what God had done through him during the second missionary journey. And so now the second missionary journey is over and the third missionary journey is about to start right now in your Bible. Please look at verse 23. Verse 23, after spending some time there in his home church in Antioch of Syria, right, rest, reflection, getting refilled, it's all important. But you can't stop Paul, he's gone. <laughs> he departs and he went from one place to the next, through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And so once again, the map, he starts his third missionary journey. He leaves his home church in Antioch of Syria, which is just off to the right of your screen, and he heads northwest into Galatia and Phrygia. And he probably did stop at Tarsus, which is the town that he was born in, maybe to say hi to some friends and family. But more importantly, he goes, he goes to the churches that he already planted. The churches he already planted in Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch of Pisidia. 
And what did he do in those churches? This is important. Look at the end of verse 23. What did Paul do in all these churches? It says, strengthening all the disciples. And so what, what does that mean? That means that Paul was not content for people to just get saved. He wanted them to, to see them grow as disciples. So he goes back and he strengthens them, no doubt by teaching the word of God to them. And so now we're introduced to a new character as we start winding down, but I want, I want you to stay with me to the end here. We're introduced to a, oh, by the way, I got eight minutes left, praise the Lord. We're introduced here uh, to a new character in the Bible. And I have to admit, I got kind of a man crush on this guy, okay, I'm sorry. He is just so, so cool. Look at verse 24. Now a Jew named, what's his name? Paulus. A native of Alexandria, okay, down there in Africa. He came to Ephesus. Now look at this guy's resume. It says that he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. I'm telling you, some of you guys need to make it a goal in your life to get to know the Bible in 2020. Competent in the scriptures. Verse 25, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, that's not it, <clears throat> and being fervent in spirit. This guy was red hot on fire for the Lord. And he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, but there is one little smudge in his resume, and because the Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit, he gives us the whole story at the end of verse 25, though he knew only the baptism of John. And so Apollos, he's a Jewish man, he loves God with all his heart, he's a native of Alexandria, Egypt, down there um, on the mouth of the Nile, in North Africa. If you don't know, um, Alexandria was the center for learning in the ancient world. It had a library that boasted 700,000 Greek books. And so during the first century AD, you need to know that Alexandria has this massive Jewish community. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of Jews lived in this city, and I'm being conservative right now with my numbers in Alexandria, and so this is the Jewish community that Apollos is raised up in. And so in his hometown, Apollos is surrounded by religion and he's surrounded by education, which I believe is why it says in verses 24 and 25 that he was eloquent. That means he knew how to communicate clearly and that number two, he was competent in the scriptures. That means that he knew his Bible really well. And that number three, he was fervent in spirit. Literally, he was on fire for God. He had a passion for God. Surrounded by religion, surrounded by education, this is the way that he was raised. And I'm so excited that next August, by God's grace, we're gonna be able to open the doors of Calvary Christian Academy and our church. Listen to this, our church, we're not just gonna give a religious education to kids for an hour on the weekend. We're gonna give them that education Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. That's an awesome thing, what a great ministry, right? And not only that, but by God's grace, you should pray 
Because not only that, by God's grace in the future, if the Lord tarries, man, we could literally raise up and send out of this school a bunch of young men and young women who have the same characteristics as Apollos, who can actually go and change their world for Christ. Pray, 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 I can't say it enough. We need your prayers because I'm telling you, something about Christian schools, new level, new devil. But how many of you, how many of you know that Jesus Christ is greater than any devil? Right? He's more powerful than it all. And so this school really does have the potential to make a huge impact for the kingdom of God. We got to pray. Now most importantly, it says that Apollos accurately taught the things concerning Jesus. That means that at some point, I don't know when, somebody witnessed to him. For all those of you who share your faith, thank you. You could be witnessing to an Apollos. He receives Jesus. He becomes a follower of Christ, but there's a problem. He only knows about John's baptism. Apparently, he's not aware of Christian baptism. So he doesn't have the whole picture. And so the Lord decides to send a couple to help him. Now look at verse 26. So we're in Ephesus, and it says that he, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, I love this. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And so on one particular Saturday, Priscilla and Aquila go into the synagogue gathering and they, they, they sit there and they listen to a man, a young, probably a young man named Apollos preach. And man, this guy is eloquent, he's competent, he's fervent, and he's accurate, but his message is incomplete. And so what's the need? The need, listen, is that Apollos needs some more discipleship. So who does the Lord send to disciple him? Priscilla and Aquila. Stay with me, read, read the end of verse 26 here. It says that they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And so now we're really getting into the title of the message, but, but everybody look at me. Let's recap, okay? Paul is in Corinth. He's in Corinth for a year and a half. And what's one of the many things that he's doing in Corinth? He's discipling Priscilla and Aquila, the husband and wife team, the dynamic duo, right? He's discipling them, he's pouring into them. Read Paul's letters and you'll know what he's been teaching this couple. And they grow and they get strong and grounded in the Christian faith to the point that they're now able to disciple, in verse 26, in Ephesus, a young man named Apollos. And so they hear him preach, and it's not all correct, and then it's, it's correct, but it's incomplete. And so they're like, hey man, you wanna go out for lunch? And they go out to lunch in a very loving, kind, spirit-filled way. Man, Apollos, great message. But you, you know, it's very obvious that you're well-schooled in the scriptures. It's very obvious that you're well-schooled in John the Baptist's ministry and his baptism. But are you aware of Christ's baptism? Apollos, did you know that after he rose from the dead, and I know you know he rose from the dead and he's your savior, but, but did you know that after his resurrection that Jesus gathered his disciples together and he said, guys, all authority's been given to me in heaven and earth. Go and make disciples of all nations Listen to this, Apollos. Then he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, Apollos, John the Baptist's baptism was a baptism of repentance that came before Christ's ministry, but you need to know Son, you need to know that Christ's baptism is a baptism of identification and it comes after Christ's ministry. You see, those of us who are baptized um, as Christians, we're identifying ourselves with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, three in one. We're identifying us more specifically with the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, and we're identifying with his death under the water burial and resurrection. Because Paul's always talking about, don't you know that those, that those of you who have been baptized into Jesus have been baptized into his death, therefore we're buried by him and as um, baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we should walk in newness of life. And what are they doing? They're sharing with Apollos everything they learned from Paul. And what does it do? It prepares him to disciple other people. Look at verse 27. Again, Lord, light a match in some people's hearts right now. Look at verse 27. And when he, Apollos, wished to cross the Aegean Sea to Achaia, the brothers in Ephesus encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there in Corinth, chapter 19, verse one, that's where he's going, to welcome Apollos. And when he arrived, he, look at this, at the end of verse 27. Some of you need to hear this. This is what God's calling some of you to do. He greatly helped those who through grace had believed. What is he doing? He's discipling others. And not just that, he's evangelizing too. Verse 28, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing that by the scriptures that the Christ, the Messiah, was who? Jesus. Everybody listen to me. Priscilla. And Aquila did such a good job discipling Apollos that he had an effective ministry over in Corinth. Here's your last point. Paul discipled Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila discipled Apollos. And Apollos discipled the Corinthians. Now, why is that so important? The reason that is so important is because some of you have given in to churchianity and you think your definition of Christianity is that you come into a room twice a month and you learn. Ladies and gentlemen, that's just a small portion. Did you hear the thump? That's the ball, it's in your court. It's time in 2020 to take some responsibility for your Christianity and allow yourself like Priscilla and Aquila to be discipled by somebody in your life like they were discipled by Paul to the point where you in 2020 get grounded in the Christian faith so that you're able to disciple other people. And then they're able to disciple others. This is Christianity. We're not talking about churchianity. We're talking about Christianity. You see, as Christ followers, we're called to make disciples. 
Now here at Calvary, how does that happen? Well, it happens, number one, through our weekend gatherings, right? Right now, I'm teaching the word of God, you're learning, you're pupils, you're being discipled. That's just a little part of it. You know where discipleship happens even better? In our Calvary groups. You see, it's in our groups that relationships are formed and it's in the context of relationships that the best discipleship occurs. Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus taught the crowds, discipleship was happening because the word of God was going forth. But you know where the best discipleship occurred? Not when he taught the crowds, but when he sat around a campfire in a circle with 12 men and he poured his life into them in the context of a relationship. And then the next day took them out with him to do ministry. And so discipleship is way more than just hearing another sermon. It has to do with relationships. And so I have super good news for you. Calvary groups are coming next month. I wonder how many of you guys right now are actively involved? Maybe some of you just finished up in the last week or so. But how many of you guys right now in the fall semester actively involved in a uh, Calvary group? Raise your hands, please. Keep them up nice and high, tall and proud. All right, so Saturday night was 60%. This morning at nine, it was 35%. Everybody lift your hands up real tall. And so right now, we're about 20%. You can put your hands down. Did you hear the thud? The ball's in your court. Can I challenge you as your pastor? Listen, don't, don't go into churches that are just gonna make you feel good. We all wanna feel good. But go to churches that challenge you. Join a group. You say, I tried it, I didn't fit in with those people. Join another one, we have lots of groups. And in the context of a relationship, grow as a disciple, but don't stop there. Grow like Priscilla and Aquila to the point where now you're able to disciple others. That's our job. I wanna ask the question again. How many of you wanna hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, when you go home? If you wanna hear that. Because here, here, here's what I know, at the judgment seat of Christ, some of you are gonna be coming to me and say, Pastor, you never told me. I thought just sitting in that row three or four times a week, well, three or four times a month, I thought that was enough. No, it's not enough. Hear me right now, it's not enough. You need to grow to the point where you're pouring into others. Now again, do you think Priscilla and Aquila loved Paul? Yes or no? Shout it out. You think they wanted to stay with him forever? Yes. Some of you are in groups and your teacher is dynamic and awesome and your people in your group are dynamic and awesome and you don't wanna go anywhere. Pastor, don't even tell me to leave my group. But what did Paul do in Ephesus? Priscilla, Aquila, stay. You're ready. And he left. And they poured into Apollos. And so praise God, stay in your group, get discipled, be encouraged. But at some point, listen, hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's time for you to step up and lead a group. In 2020, it's time for some of you to step up and lead a group in your home, you say, my, 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 my schedule's crazy, you don't understand. Okay, just put Jesus on the back burner and keep living how you're living. It's time to step up, take the challenge, 
and pour it into others.